What's up, everyone? My name is B, and you are listening to the Brand Eye Podcast. This podcast talks about navigating our 20-somethings, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of our journeys, and learning to embrace every part of your story, because your life is your brand, and so many people would benefit from just seeing you live authentically. No one has all of the answers. We're all trying to figure it out. Hi, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Pastor C. Pastor C is not only a wife, an amazing mother, a pastor, but she's also the founder and executive director at Gabriel's House, um, which she'll talk more about. But this is a nonprofit uh, that's a safe haven for youth, providing them with holistic support. Pastor C, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So I'm so excited to have Pastor C on here because, one, I'm looking at her beautiful baby boy, Mr. Caleb, and she has such a phenomenal story and the ability to go with the flow in life and practice patience, (laughs) something that I'm really struggling with and I tend to struggle with a lot. And a lot of you have asked questions about um, how do you wait and what do you do in a season of waiting? So Pastor C, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're at right now in your life? All right. Well, as Brandy said, I am Pastor C, or Kenitris Houston Dickens. I am the senior pastor of DuPage AME Church in Lyle, Illinois, uh, by way, a transplant by way of Atlanta, Georgia. That's (laughs) home. That's home. Shout out to the Uh (laughs) A-Town. And so um, I've been in ministry uh, since I was 18 years old. Been in pastoral ministry since I was 26 years old. Oh, wow. So I have completed 13 years of senior pastoral leadership. This will be my 14th year as a senior pastor. Um, In my life at this point, um, still serving as a pastor, now juggling mommyhood and (laughs) And ministryhood and marriagehood and all of those hoods are not fun sometimes, <laughs> but God is good in them all the time. And so that is me, full-time in all capacities. <laughs> well, thank you. And have you always aspired to be a pastor? No. So I um, went off to college with the expectation that I would come back to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, back home from my undergrad time at UNC Chapel Hill to attend Emory for law school. And it was in my senior year at uh, UNC Chapel Hill that I felt God calling me into pastoral ministry. Uh, I had accepted my call into ministry, preaching ministry, but I was gonna be somebody's good uh, helper on the ministerial (laughs) team, preach all over the place, but still be an attorney. And the Lord said different my last year as I was preparing for law school. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, that's that's how the story was written. <laughs> <laughs> and answering your call at such a young age and now being Pastor C, is it hard sometimes to separate yourself, um, Kenitris, from Pastor C? I would definitely say yes. Um, I think that the Lord called Kenitris um, and then Pastor C evolved out of who Kenitris is. But I think that like many others, especially we women, uh, sometimes I forget to take care of Kenitris in fostering all of the responsibilities and expectations of Pastor C. So sometimes it, you know, becomes a juggling act for sure to take care of Kenitris while also, you know, being the best Pastor C that I can be. Right. And when I hear Pastor, many of us think about perfect and, Mm -hmm. you know, doesn't listen to Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) And how have you been able to remain true to yourself and continue to grow your ministry? Well, my friends call me Beyonce, Beyonce's gospel um, edition, right? But no, so I I love Beyonce, right? And I love life. And I think that one of the beautiful things about being called into ministry and to pastoral ministry is that God called you as you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't think that I have to 
not be me in order to be Pastor C. You know, my grandfather used to say all the time, especially when I accepted my call into ministry, make sure that you can live in front of them. Right. Um, and if you live in front of them, they'll keep coming. That's what he said to me when I started pastoring. Um, and what he meant by that was that if I live out the gospel that I teach and preach, um, then people will be drawn to that gospel. Yeah. Right. And so just because I enjoy a good Beyonce number, uh, doesn't mean that I don't have a relationship with God. And so I think that, you know, a part of who I am is this um, very God-driven, um, energetic people person, mm -hmm. right? And so all of that bound together is Kenitris. And so then being Pastor C is not some alter ego. It's a part of who Kenitris is. Yeah, thank you. And when you... Uh answered your call to preach at a fairly young age um, and you were navigating relationships, mm -hmm. what kind of societal pressures did you experience? Oh my goodness, it's on both sides, right? So from one's perspective, the societal pressure of peers who are, you know, um, sleeping with multiple people or they feel like they got to go to the club to meet a person. And then the societal uh, pressures on the other end of, oh, well, you're in ministry, so you shouldn't even be dating, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was it was one extreme to the other. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, it being in ministry, no matter your age, but especially being young and then add the added, you know, spectrum for me is also being female, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, let's be real. It's a double standard out there, right? right. And so my male colleagues had different standards and even different expectations, right? <laughs> Um, but I think that for me, it was about making sure that I remember who called me yeah. again. You know, I'll talk about my papa probably 8 million times in this interview because he was one of the most influential in my pastoral journey. And one of the things that he also told me when I first accepted my call to preach was I'm coming and I'll be on the front row. Cause I want to know who called you. Yeah. And when I finished preaching, he hit me in the back of my uh, back as a, you know, patting you on the back. Right. But right. my grandfather was extremely heavy handed <laughs> and I can still feel this thing, the sting today. Right. Yeah. You know, 21 years later, him saying he called you, he called mm -hmm. you. Don't forget that. And if I don't forget who called me, then I won't allow the pressures of what society thinks on one side of the spectrum or the other to uh, impact or control me negatively yeah. in my call. You talk about salt. We all need salt. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but how did you realize that Gabriel's house was that salt that the world needs? So Gabriel was actually um, my first uh, mentor in ministry. Oh. And so he was the Reverend Gabriel Hardeman Sr. out of Philly, okay. uh, a, a longstanding AME pastor, then presiding elder, who just took me under his wing while I was working on my master's. But Gabriel actually passed right as I was getting ready to open Gabriel's house. Oh, wow. And um, when, when he was getting, when he was transitioning I came to see him and I showed him the Secretary of State name reservation certificate oh, wow. so he he passed a few weeks later but he knew that I was starting Gabriel's house not after the angel Gabriel but after him oh, wow. an angel that God had given me on on this earth um but yeah the story of of that he shared with me over and over again about this king and his children and the humbly grits and and the uh, chef brought him the grits with no salt. Yeah. And, you know, and so the fact that we all need salt or wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. This preserving agent. And God has blessed me with so many preserving agents. Yeah. That I think that's what inspired me to want to create Gabriel's house as a preserving agent for others. Yeah. So let's talk about the waiting season because you're someone who has accomplished a lot you've achieved a lot you are the shepherd of an amazing church and you have such a beautiful family but I know that that didn't happen overnight so <laughs> what can you can you take us to the beginning of how did this start what relationships almost re led you to the relationship that you're in now ah, Lordy. <laughs> Brenda, <laughs> she's walking heavy, y'all. All right, all right. <laughs> um, no relationship is perfect, right? No relationship is perfect. And um, I've had some really great relationships in my past, and I've had some really horrible relationships in my past, relationships that added to me and relationships that almost stole my entire being, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and when I say that, 
you know, it's like, uh, speaking to Beyonce, right? That song, You Won't Break My Soul, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I've had relationships that I had to say to myself, don't let this break your soul. Like, yeah. don't let it break who you are. Right. You know, um, because uh, you can fall in love so hard with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And when that relationship doesn't work, mm-hmm. it could crush you. Yeah. It could cause you to question who you are, mm-hmm. uh, what God thinks about you, what you think about yourself, what, you know, it could cause you to question everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, the, the ebbs and flows of past relationships definitely impacted who I am, um, the type of relationship I'm, I'm in now, um, what I accept and what I don't accept in that relationship. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the the short version of that answer is that it's some ebbs and flows out there, right? right? And and you take your good with your bad and and ultimately trying to figure out, God, what was I supposed to learn in that encounter? Right. And you were 26 when you got married, 26? The first time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a shame like the first time. Uh, I think so. And and what is that? <laughs> Oh, see, this is this is really a testament to healing because the fact that you don't even remember it, I'm sure that you were really in love. But <laughs> that relationship, that was a best friend of yours. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I was, yeah, 20, 26. No, I'm between 26 and 28. What year did I get married? I think I was 28, I okay. think. Okay. Maybe. You were in your... Yeah. I was in my 20s. I was older than 25 and younger than 30. <laughs> Let's go there. You don't even remember. I love it. That shows yeah. that you can. Re- you really can move on, folks. Yeah, you can move on. And then, I mean, we're in the best of friends now, right? Yeah. Uh, and that sounds weird to people who, who don't have that. Right. But I think that when you marry wrong but not to a bad person... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're saying amen. Uh, <laughs> when you marry wrong but you didn't marry a bad person... Yeah. Um, then the friendship that was supposed to be there will probably remain. And did you truly believe that this was the man that you were meant to marry? Truly, truly, truly. At that time, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I fought tooth and nail to make it work. And when did you realize that it wasn't meant to be? Mm, I probably, I think it was probably a year two or three in the marriage where I was like, oh my gosh, things aren't getting better at all. But, but we stuck it out five years. Oh, wow. Um, but, but at year four, the marriage was definitely over. And so because we loved each other, we stayed in the marriage an extra year to protect each other's ministry. Cause he was mm-hmm. in ministry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so privately we knew that we were working to make sure that we both were healed and whole when we came out publicly as not wow. being together. And so we protected each other for a year. We, oh, that's beautiful. We, yeah, we were still married on paper, still lived together, but we're both in therapy, uh-huh. trying to make sure that when this marriage was dissolved, we knew that we had made the right decision. Because right. as you said, we thought we made the right decision when we got married. Right. But we were young, you know? Right. And oftentimes I think when we talk about the season of waiting, we think that we're going to get our way at the end or (laughs) we are going to, you know, things will turn out the way that we thought that they would. But for you, they turned out different, differently. So what did that season of waiting look like for you during that relationship? During that relationship? Mm -hmm. Um, it was hard during, during that relationship. Um, I found out that I had fibroids Mm. And, you know, by, by my uh, Jesus year, which is 33, right? <laughs> by my Jesus year, I expected to have two kids and a dog. Yeah. You know? And, and so I was on track to have two kids and a dog because I was married. Right. Um, but at 29, I found out that I had severe fibroids hmm. and had to have surgery. And I was told immediately that there would be a possibility that I could not naturally conceive. And that there would be a possibility that I would not be able to carry my own child. Mm. And so to be in a marriage that was on its way to being dissolved mm. and to be given that news as well mm-hmm. was devastating. Yeah. So my waiting period was tough Yeah. Um, because I was looking at God saying, 
wait a minute, I was not the kid that was disrespectful. Right. I was not the teenager that wowed out. I was not even the college student that did a whole lot of clubbing and partying. Mm -hmm. I was the DD who was literally at home sleep. Right. And my friends would call and be like, hey, I went to a party. I had too much. <laughs> Can you come get me? And I'm right. knocked out in bed and would right. have to get up, get dressed, go find them, drive right. them home to their dorm room. You know, and so for me to feel like, dang, God, I did everything that you expected me to do. And mm -hmm. now this is my norm or my reality. That was a devastating and a low space for me, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. So you get out of this marriage and that was your best friend. So not only are you grieving that, but then you're grieving a dream that you had. Mm -hmm. What did that look like? You know, almost refinding who... Canetrius is in the midst of um, a divorce that's now publicized. Mm -hmm. um, what did that look like? Because I remember one day you told me, you know, I think at age 33, you were what were supposed to be your prime years mm -hmm. were your years of self-discovery. What that looked like for me was learning to love me for me, mm -hmm. um, uh, uncovering what I believed based on what God showed me mm -hmm. versus what I believe based on all these societal norms and church norms and expectations. Um, that, that time was a time of, of self-discovery where I truly said, okay, God, show me me. Mm -hmm. You show me me. Yeah. You know, not mom, not dad, not brothers, not cousins, not friends. Mm -hmm. God, I want to see what you see. Yeah. yeah. And your doctor... Uh, mm -hmm. You have a really special relationship. <laughs> yeah, good old Dr. Therapity, man. Yes, this dude was my doctor at 29. He was my specialist. Mm -hmm. My doctor sent me to him because of the fibroids. And I remember my doctor saying, uh, you need to be with the best because you're too young and you're too healthy to not be able to carry a child. Yeah. Um, and so he sent me to this specialist, Dr. Therapity, um, who was at the time one of the top in the, in the nation, uh, with reproductive uh, care, mm -hmm. and, you know, he tells me, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to get these fibroids out. You're going to heal. We're going to get you a baby. Yeah. And then I'm, after we get the fibroids out and my uterus is fine, and so he's like, see, I told you. Now let's get you a baby. And I'm like, um, I'm divorcing. And he's like, well, who cares? And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, 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 I'm a pastor. It doesn't work like that. I can't just <laughs> pop up pregnant, not right. married. And he says, well, we don't need a man. We can go in a book. And I said, well, that's not what God told me. Yeah. God told me I was going to be able to conceive, carry, and give birth to my own child one day. Yeah. He says, fine. Mm -hmm. But don't make it wait. You know, don't make me wait too long. Just right. come back to me when you're married. And right. I was like, okay. And so um, I stayed away for about five or six years. And when I went back, you know, the fibroids were back and they were severe again. Mm -hmm. And he says, Kenitra, this time you don't have a second chance. Mm -hmm. Like, we got to get these fibroids out and, you know, we got we to gotta start working towards a baby. Right. And I was dating my now husband at that time. And so he was like, well, is it serious? Like, I mean, you just need to go on and marry him because we need a baby. And I'm like, oh, well, we'll see, Doc. Right. right. And the interesting thing about that, that moment is that um, we had the surgery and – um, every, the surgery went well again, but he had told me, this is it. You can't have this surgery again mm -hmm. and you're predisposed to fibroids. And so they're going to grow back. Yeah. And so we need to get a baby. And I'm like, well, I'm still not married. And I don't know if I want to marry this, this dude or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> My now husband. Right. I'm like, I don't know if I want to marry this man. And so he says, okay. He says, well, let's at least test your tubes so that we can see whether or not you're going to be able to conceive naturally. Yeah. And I said, well, God said I will. So I will. And he says, Okay, well, I believe you, but let's let's just do the test. Yeah. And my tubes were closed from scar tissue from oh, the wow. first surgery. Yeah, and from years of, of all of that stuff healing. And I remember him wanting it as badly as me for those tubes to be open. And, and was him, your doctor a believer? No. Mm. Nope. He would say whatever your God says. Yeah. He, he believed, you know, based on our track record. Right. Yep. So... Uh, when he realized they were closed, he says, Kenichas, I'm sorry. I know what you said, your God said, but, you know, we can still make this work. And I said, no, you're going to have to give me and my God three months mm. because God's going to turn this around. Like, there's no way God's taking this from me. 
And you just knew this. I just knew it because that's not what God told me. And I just, in my self-discovery, God kept showing me that if I tell you something, that's what it is. I don't care what it looks like. That's what it is. And so in those, that prime of 33 and 34 and 35, that's when I was getting to the space where my faith was crazy, where I was like, shoot, if God said it, that's it. And I don't care if the news report says something different. If I heard it from God, I believe it. And so um, I remember thinking that way and trusting, and it didn't mean I didn't cry. I mean, I was crying about it, right. but but I still believed. And so um, in doing that, I went back to my therapist, and I shared with my therapist what was going on. And as God would have it, my therapist had a similar journey. Wow. And so for the first time in our entire professional uh, relationship she opened up to me about her journey mm. and she said I went to this natural holistic place and they did all these womb care things and and Kenitris, I got pregnant naturally mm. and I said okay well let me go find one of whatever you saw <laughs> <laughs> and I did I found a, a womb care person and I researched her and then I called Dr. Therapity back because I trusted him yeah and I said, I know what you said, and I know we don't have five years, and I know we can't do another surgery, but what about if you give God, me, and this womb care lady <laughs> three months? Would that hurt me? He said, no, nah, but you don't have three years. I said, okay, that's fine. Well, Lord don't need but three. He worked good in three. <laughs> and so I went to this woman for three months, and the pandemic hits, and I keep going to her. And uh, so my, my doctor says, well, we can't do the test. My, my hospital's not allowing us to do the, the test right now because it's not a, a life-threatening need or yeah. whatever, right? So, so can you get it done somewhere else? So he refers me to a place. I call, and they do the test, and I see all the dye flying through the tubes, and I feel the pain that you know that your tubes are open. <laughs> and I say, get me down. Get me down. <laughs> and they said, we know it's painful. I said, no, I'm about to tear up your equipment because I'm about to shout. I'm about to shout. Um, God opened my tubes. Right. God opened my tubes. Wow. You know, and uh, and when I called my specialist back, I said, they're going to call you and they're going to send the report. Right. But my tubes are open. Right. And he says, Canadians, I'm not surprised because you said what your God said. And your God keeps keeping his word. And did he believe that your God would keep his word when you first met him? I think he, not when he, not when he first met me. No, he thought I was crazy. <laughs> really? What did he say? He was like, uh, okay, well, I specialize in medicine, uh -huh. so I'm going to do my part, you know? And right. I was like, right, but my God said, and he's like, okay, I specialize <laughs> in medicine. I'm going to do my part, you know? Right. Um, but he can't wait. Now he can't wait to meet Caleb, you yeah. know? And Caleb was named based on my journey, faithful. You know, that God has been faithful. And so that's why his name is Caleb, you know. And, and that specialist who was not a believer, I don't necessarily think he's a believer now, but I think he believes that my God will keep his word, mm. you know. And what is your moment? So you were so sure of it. And, you know, it sounds like you were just so sure no matter what anyone said, even a specialist, one of the best in, in Georgia, not even just Atlanta. Mm -hmm. What did it, how did you navigate moments um, when you began to lose hope? I cried and then I got back up. I don't think I ever lost hope. I think I just got sad. And mm. you know, I would get sad sometimes. Um, but I, I, did, I never lost hope. Yeah. Um, I would get confused about why things were the way they were. But I think the key was that I didn't lose hope. And yeah. have you always been like that throughout your life? You've just never been one to lose hope? I think so. I've always been a really positive person, um, and I've always been a go-getter. And, you know, and so the, 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 the good thing about having that kind of personality is that, you know, I've, this is my saying. My, my phrase, so most of my phrases are my grandfather's sayings, but my saying is give God something to work with, mm. you know. And, and that's kind of biblical, right? Faith yeah. without works is dead, yeah. right? And so my thing has always been I'm going to work. Yeah. So God always got something to work with because right. I'm going I'm to put my work in, you know. <laughs> and, and so I think that that's what caused me to be a person that didn't lose hope because I'm a work. Right. And if, if, if I work and all things work together for the good, God works all things together for the good, then God got something to work with with me, you right. know. And I think that 
you know, many of us struggle in the wait season of our lives because we waiting, like we're waiting to see. Mm -hmm. I wasn't waiting to see. I was waiting and working. Mm -hmm. You know, I was waiting and going to therapy. I was right. waiting and being open to dating. But I, it was private till it was permanent. Yeah. You know, that's a whole other thing, right? Which Pastor C is going to be back and talk about <laughs> private the rules of dating. Uh, listen, because there are rules. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever think that you would be married again? I knew I would get married again because I knew that, uh, I mean, to be frank, all right, we're going to be real about this thing. This is, this is your podcast. There's some <laughs> truth on here. So we're going to just be truthful. I knew I would be married again because I knew I would have a child. Mm -hmm. And I knew that uh, in order to have a child, I needed to be married, you know, for who I am in this world, in this community, in the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I knew I, would, I knew I would marry again. And what was it like navigating this new dating scene? Um, I was very skeptical. Um, uh, the, the, the dating scene is, is not a fun one. You know, uh, I, I would be a liar to say that it's, it's a great pool out there. It's not. Um, and no matter who you end up with, there's going to be work, mm -hmm. you know, and the work is every day, you know, every day, every day. Do you have to compromise for real? Oh gosh. <laughs> you got to compromise. You, you know, you, you got to compromise. You've got, you've got to make uh allowances and then at the same time you got to have some standards that you know are your boundaries that that are deal breakers mm -hmm. and you've got to be willing to stand behind those and not get desperate yeah because of your desire right yeah and i could have easily done that because i knew i wanted to be a mother yeah you know and here i am now already in my mid-30s uh and and not married and wanting to be a mother and I don't want to be 90 with a 10 year old right just so that God can keep his word right. you know so so there are some allowances that are that are made at that point but at the same time there are some deal breakers that you don't <laughs> you know that you say no nah, if you can't get this right right then you need to step right you know and I wasn't afraid to do that you yeah. know my now husband lost me for a good year you a know year. when we were dating oh yeah oh yeah Oh, yeah. And I dated again while I was broke Did up. Did you really? <laughs> so, <laughs> I have questions. So, how did, how, you got to explain, Pastor C. So, when he lost you, mm -hmm. did he come back? Like, was he coming back every single day begging you? He couldn't because I blocked him. I believe in a good <laughs> block ministry. Come on now. No, me too. I have like 80 yeah. numbers on my Absolutely. Block list. I believe in a block ministry. And so uh, when, I, when I realized that he was not taking my desires and my deal breakers and boundaries seriously, I had to cut him off. And what does that mean? Like, was it like the boundaries of I want to get married? No, it, was, it had nothing to do with marriage. It had everything to do with, with his personal choices mm. and personality traits and character flaws that I were I was not comfortable with mm. and that I felt like this makes you incompatible for me mm -hmm. as a spouse and as a person I'm dating because I'm not dating just to be dating mm -hmm. and so if you are incompatible as a as a as a boyfriend certainly you can't be a husband right yeah yeah so we want more how do you come back did he just you know show up in your driveway one day <laughs> Now, the good thing was we were long distance, so you couldn't just pop <laughs> up on good me. Thing. Good thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, he waited a little over a year. He reached out to me because he had finally stepped out of his comfort zone. He had been a youth pastor for years, like mm -hmm. over a decade. Mm -hmm. um, and he's older than me. And so that was one of my complaints to him that if you can stay in a space that long and not try anything else, mm -hmm. um, then you may have a maturity issue, mm. you know? Um, and, and so I challenged him on that. So when he finally reached out to me because of the block ministry, he had to email me. <laughs> yeah. Not an email. Yeah, girl. Like we're back in the early 2000s. Yeah, because you can't get through my phone. <laughs> ah, and so he emailed me telling me that he was taking a pastoral appointment and that he respected me as a pastor and wanted me to know that that's what he was doing and wanted my advice for the journey. Mm. And so I took him off block and said, you can give me a call tomorrow at this time. Did he really, do you think he really wanted your advice or do you think he wanted you back? 
I think both and. Okay. Um, but but he knew better than to come straight out the door like that. Mm. You know, so so it was straight ministry conversation for a while. Um, and then I would say uh probably about six months passed before I entertained personal conversation. Six months. Mm-hmm. And so you all were rebuilding a friendship during that time? Right. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And during the six-month period, did you know that you were going to get back with him? No. No, definitely not. Mm-mm. Really? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. I honestly wasn't open to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what made me open to it, but... During that six-month period, I wasn't open to it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that watching him truly come out of his, you know, comfort zones and stretch himself is probably what made me give it a chance. Yeah. But, yeah, I I was actually not open to it because I don't believe in driving in reverse. Mm. (laughs) So I had been been down that street. Right. (laughs) So So it also helped you with, like, forgiveness and – learning that people can change absolutely and that a no is maybe a possibly you know maybe later kind of thing mm-hmm. so for those of us okay for me i'm speaking for myself because <laughs> one thing about me is i'm extremely dramatic and impatient and i like to have control but i'm learning that you can't have control so what signs um help you realize when you're not being patient mm. I think my body tells me mm-hmm. um, because I'm not a person that is sickly. Mm-hmm. So, so when I end up with a headache or I'm extremely lethargic, then I feel like there's something manifesting itself inside of my body mm-hmm. that's really impatience or anger or disappointment, right? So I think knowing your body because your body will tell you. Um I think other things that maybe show me that I'm not practicing patience is my temperament, right? So if you are short-tempered, period, mm-hmm. right, then sometimes that's that's a sign that there's something that's irritating you. Mm-hmm. And if something's irritating you, is it irritating you because it's wrong right. or because it's not what you want right now? Right. Ah. And how does impatience affect your relationships? Um. I think impatience impacts your relationships because it it doesn't allow you to be your best self. Yeah. So being someone who is in ministry and the leader of a church, how are you able to grow and how are you able to navigate seasons of impatience or seasons of um, a lot of anxiety around your future? Because I know you have a great support system, but how do you know that you can trust people to really open up on the, or open up to them and depend on them? Um, I think therapy. I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of therapy. So um, that part, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because you have this safe space to work through your thoughts, your mm-hmm. concerns, your worries, your fears, you know, so that's one space. Um, and then just giving people um, time to show you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I try to walk in wisdom with the amount of access I give people. Yeah. Um, because you can't, you can't take it back once you've given it to them, right? Yeah. So you can, you can give little by little. Right. But once it's out there, it's out there. Right. Right. You've exposed too much of yourself versus you can add more if you've exposed potentially too little of yourself. Right. And so I think that um, in navigating that, I try to walk slow. Yeah. Because to be frank, I got a lot to lose. Yeah. You know, and being young, that means that I have sacrificed a lot of my younger years and prime years to establish what I've established in my ministry and in my walk. And so that means that I can't 
allow everyone access to it. It's yeah. like the fine china that your grandmother used to keep mm. in the china cabinet. Yeah. And we only bring it out on special occasions. Yeah. And it was because she, she spent a lot to get that china. Right. And so she, she didn't, you didn't eat every meal on that china. Right. You know, and you don't throw that china in the dishwasher. You got to hand wash it. Yeah. You know, so when you've, you know, worked hard and you're still young and you've already established a lot and achieved a lot, um, then you need to treat yourself like fine china. Mm. You don't throw your hand yourself into the dishwasher. You have to be Oof. hand washed, you know, Oof. and everybody don't get to eat off of you. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and everything don't need to go on your plate. Yeah. Right. Some stuff stains. Who eating spaghetti on fine china? <laughs> well, first of all, I love spaghetti. So. I love spaghetti too, but you eating that on paper plates or just, you know, the Walmart yeah. or the Target brand of your dishware, right? Yeah. But you're not putting spaghetti on your fine china because it may stain it. Yeah. And how can we, what are some ways that we can ensure that we are acting as if we're fine china? What are some signs that we'll be able to look at to say, ah, oh, maybe I should stop and reassess? Is something chipping away at you? Mm -hmm. Something or someone? Then you may not be treating yourself like fine china. <clears throat> right? Okay, so <laughs> we can move on. Because... <laughs> right? I feel attacked. <laughs> on your own podcast. I know, the nerve. Mm. <laughs> I didn't mean this kind of vulnerability. Okay. <laughs> so chipping away at you. Mm-hmm. If things are chipping away at you or a person is chipping away at you, perhaps you have not required them to treat you like fine china. Mm. Or it could be that we're not treating them like fine china because we don't treat ourselves like fine china. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's deep. You didn't need to do that. And then you really didn't need to do that. No bird is trying to go live in the doghouse. Yeah. The fanciest of dog houses, a bird, an eagle, does not want to go live in it. Mm. Because eagles can survive in higher altitudes. Mm. So why would it diminish itself to sleep that low to the ground? Oh, you're dropping gems. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it catches me off guard because I was just telling some of my friends, you know, I met a guy, he's great, but something is telling me no. And on paper, he looks great. Everything about him, you know, is like perfect, but it's no. Mm -hmm. And so then I found that the more that I'm engaging with him, the more I feel disconnected from mm. not only myself, but from God and the people around me. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to hear your story of when you've been able to be patient and you've been able to be faithful. And what about the moments when you haven't been able to? How did you get back up again? I know you Shoot. cried, but how did you get back up? Yeah, you don't like being down there. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and it sounds very elementary because there are some people who literally, because of mental health challenges, take themselves away from this world mm -hmm. over those kinds of things. Yeah. So it's not that I haven't been in heartbreaking situations that other people have decided this life isn't worth it anymore. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Um, but having, first of all, of course, a relationship with God, but secondly, an amazing relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. I feel like at my lowest moments, my family has called me on it. Yeah. And been like, I don't know what's going on, but come over here. Mm. Are we going over here? Mm -hmm. Or I'm coming to you. Mm -hmm. Right? So having a circle around you, that knows you better than you know yourself, mm. right? Yeah. So, you know, my mom says that I have a contagious personality, mm -hmm. right? So her thing is, if everybody else is standing and cheering and I'm sitting, it feels like no one is standing and cheering mm. because my cheers are that much bigger. Mm. So I remember being in a bad space and coming to my mom's salon for three weeks in a row, right? Mm -hmm. And I would come up there, get my hair done, sit around like I would always do, and then go on go on back home. Mm -hmm. And that third week when I left, my mother's eldest sister said to her, something's wrong, Kenitris is off. Mm. And so my mom called me and said, I'm about to come to your house, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you mean? 
Well, Jackie said, and I said, why would she say that? I spoke to everybody. I was normal. You know, da, da, da. And mom said, no, you're not. You're not yourself. And mm-hmm. we see it and we let you, we gave you three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks is too long though. Right. Week two, we expected you to bounce back week three. So yeah. since you haven't bounced back, now conversation has to be, you know, had. Yeah. You know, and so having people around you that know you better than you know yourself so they can tell when something's off. But it also requires uh, honesty on the behalf of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because if God gives you someone to say, are you okay? Be truthful. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if that person is asking, are you okay? Chances are they know you're not. Yeah. So you don't have to lie and say, I'm fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is hard. It's that's, very hard. That's really hard. Mm-hmm. And you move from Atlanta to little old Lyle. That's predominantly white where Atlanta is like the opposite. Mm-hmm. How has it been building a community of people around you that can provide similar support to the support that you had in Atlanta? It is very hard. It is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. <laughs> and I am not succeeding at it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I am holding myself accountable about it, though. So yeah. um, but but I have not succeeded at it. I have not found community outside of work and mm-hmm. so for while while others use church as community this is a part of my community but it's not Kenitris's community yeah it's pastor c's community yeah so it's not the community where i can be 100 percent vulnerable yeah. it's not the community where i can be weak yeah you know it's not the community where i can be hurt right you know and then expect to be healed or you, you know? can be ratchet like you can't. all of it right <laughs> yeah and yes. so for those I know a lot of people, we talk about how hard it is. Once you're out of, you know, elementary school, it's hard to make friends. But Mm -hmm. as an adult, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. So what steps have you, I know that you said you're still working on it, but what steps do you take to build meaningful relationships? Um, So I think, you know, tapping into groups that are made up of people with, you know, commonalities, Mm -hmm. right? So, of course, I'm in a sorority. So linking up with a chapter here. Um, but of course, again, where I talked about earlier, this whole balancing act of Kenitris and Pastor C. In that group, I'm just Kenitris. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Pastor C bleeds over mm-hmm. into the time where I need to go over there and establish Kenitris, yeah. right? And so that's a challenge. But that's, to me, a step towards community is at least yeah. connecting with that unit, right? Yeah. Um, also finding people who know people, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, you know, finding, you know, for example, I've uh, had a person that I've been going and having a meal with once a month for the last few months who used to be connected to this church, Mm -hmm. right, but no longer lives here. And so then she is saying, here are some people that I know Mm. who are not connected to this church that can see you just as Kenitris. Oh, that's nice. And so let's intentionally create those connections to start forming community for you. Yeah. And it sounds like you're in another season of having to really use your faith even more than you have had to in the past. When it comes to faith and the waiting season, um, which this may be two different questions, just like grief, you know, there are stages of grief. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that there are stages of the waiting season? Absolutely. And stages of faith. Mm -hmm. And what are those stages? I don't know that I can define them all, but I definitely think they exist, right? Mm-hmm. I think similar to uh, the stages of grief, I think grief, I think you find a stage of anger on both sides. In your mm-hmm. faith and in your waiting, you do have a season or a stage of, of anger, mm-hmm. whether it be anger with yourself or anger with God, anger with other people, mm-hmm. right? Because um, when you're waiting, why are you waiting, right? Oh. <laughs> Like, why? Why am I here? That's a question, right? Right. And sometimes in floating through the answer to that question, you say, well, I'm here because I dated this idiot. Right. And now my heart's broken. And maybe I should have dated that person instead. Right. And so, you know, I'm angry with myself or regret, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or it's, God, you're not paying attention, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I have a friend of mine back home in Atlanta who literally has not dated horrible people or made horrible decisions. She's just having a hard time meeting a nice person. Right. And for her, that stage of waiting is now maybe God forgot about me and maybe it's going to just be me and the dog. Mm. 
you know? Yeah. And when it comes to waiting, what lessons from your waiting periods have helped you navigate this season in your life where you have basically um, achieved, you know, you've received all of the things that you've been waiting for. What lessons have helped you navigate this season? Um, I think God's word coming to pass, right? Mm -hmm. So because God has fulfilled God's word in my waiting season, then it gives me motivation to know that even the stuff that I'm, I'm, cause, cause I think you're always in the period of waiting, right? Because yeah. there's some, something else that you're seeking God for. Yeah. And so my faith is still present because, and my hope is still present because I got Caleb in my hand, for example, mm -hmm. right? Like this little boy is like an answered prayer wrapped up in flesh, literally. Yeah. And so then that tells me that the same way God answered this once prayer then there are other things that I have before God that he will answer. Yeah. What piece of advice would you give to individuals in their 20s um, that you wish someone would have told you? Don't rush yourself, right? Don't, you know, set your own timeline. Yeah. Right? Like some, so many timelines exist in our lives simply based on what we saw on TV or what we hear on the <laughs> radio or what we see on social media mm -hmm. and I think that the advice I would have told 25 to 28 year old me we're not sure that jury's still out right <laughs> I, th I think I was 26 or 27 I don't know <laughs> Lord I still don't, don't know oh my goodness. but I think you're right I think I was 26 and maybe he was 28 because he was two years older than me but who knows right. we, we have to do the math um but yeah I, I wish that I, I wish I could have gone back and told 20 plus year old me, you don't have to marry him tomorrow mm. or, or in six months. Cause I remember six months before that wedding, second guessing whether or not I should get married to him. But you already printed the invites. That's right. And they were already <laughs> mailed out. What? <laughs> Who's going to do that? Right. And so I would have told her, you, you can say regretfully we are postponing. Mm -hmm. Because later you're going to have to say, regretfully, we are dissolving this marriage. Yeah. You know, um, but that decision also helped make me who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, I became a better preacher in that marriage. Mm -hmm. um, I became more loving towards people and understanding towards people in that marriage because I had never been in a relationship that wasn't successful so to speak right mm -hmm. you know i just had little kitty relationships prior to that one and so when you go through a, a marriage and it's not successful and you're juggling life you realize that that's a real thing right and before that moment i didn't know that that was a real thing i was mm -hmm. naive to that i thought people were being dramatic yeah but it's a real thing so be patient with yourself and it's okay to change your mind. Mm -hmm. And even if the invitations are printed, right. You know, and whatever that invitation looks like. Right. So sometimes the invitation is literally up to a wedding. Sometimes the invitation is I'm enrolled in a certain degree program. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the invitation is I got this job, whatever your quote unquote invitation is, you can change it. Right. You don't have to stay on that career path if that's not making you happy. Mm. You don't have to stay in that relationship if that's not fulfilling you. Yes. You don't have to move forward with that decision if you change your mind. Change yeah. your mind and do something different. Right. You know, that's what I would say. <laughs> you just went off. And, I, <laughs> and that's what I would say. Right. <laughs> and I think one thing that I wonder, too, is, I'm sorry, you just caught me off guard, Pastor. <laughs> you just caught me off guard. Um, but I think that that's something that's really helpful to think about and think through. And it's interesting because I've known you for about a year now, and you are a hardworking woman. <laughs> and, you know, you want your answers. And so 
what does it look like when you don't get your answers is something that I think about of like, wow, I wonder what it, what it means when Pastor C doesn't get her way or when we're unable to, you know, work our black girl magic. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And do we feel like we failed? Absolutely. That's real. Yeah. You do feel like you, you failed. You feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... You know, so, you know, the Bible talks about how God will speak in a still, small voice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes God don't speak in a still, small voice. Sometimes God speaks through the voice of people. Yeah. And so you will have a person like a Brandy. Mm -hmm. They say, Pastor C, you're amazing. And you're like, thank you. And you pause (laughs) for a minute. (laughs) And you say, I really needed to hear that today. Right? Mm -hmm. Or, Or a true story as recently as this morning. One of the members called right before I was getting ready to work out. And so I'm focused on the fact that I'm about to get on my bike and I'm going to do some miles, right? I'm going to get some some cardio in. And so when I answer and she says, are you busy? I make sure that I say I'm about to work out because I don't know if it's about to be a long conversation. And I need to establish a boundary that I'm about to work out. Right. And she says, okay, I won't hold you long. I just needed to say to you. Thank you. I'm learning so much from your preaching. Your preaching is making a difference for me. And I said, thank you for calling me to say that to me. Mm -hmm. You never know when someone needs to hear encouragement. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, you're welcome. But I don't think she realized that what I was admitting to her was that I was that someone. Yeah. That this Monday was a Mondaying Monday. Yeah. Right. Right. The Monday was Monday. The Monday was Mondaying. And I needed somebody to say, what you're doing is making a difference for me. Yeah. Don't quit. Yeah. Because sometimes you think about quitting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, I know that it has to be hard because you're an alpha woman. <laughs> like so I know it can't be easy, especially in any relationship, whether it be romantic, platonic, family, because you're also the foundation a lot of times or the backbone. So um, thank you for taking time to just pour into others. I know it's not easy. And also for Gabriel's house, house, I think that it's amazing that you're also providing these life skills and just holistic support to youth in the community. Um, So... There is a tradition that I forgot to tell you about. Okay. Um, But I mean, I know you listen to the podcast every day, so I know you know the tradition. But at the end, our guests ask the listeners a question to ponder on, and then they share a quote of the week. All right. So the question to ponder is, am I treating myself like the fine china that I am? Ooh. That's for the listeners, not me. That's for me, you, and the (laughs) listeners. Am I treating myself like the fine china that I am? Yeah. And so ponder that and think about what you think about when you think about fine china Mm -hmm. that is set apart, that it's delicate, that there are things that it's just simply not exposed to. So am I treating myself like the fine china that I am? Hmm. And the quote of the week you are fine china. Ooh. <laughs> Act like it. That Boom. was quick. That was smooth. Thank you. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Caleb, is there anything you'd like to say? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just going to tease right now. Well, Pastor C and baby Caleb, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And you all, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week.